Okay, I will set uh, my guest today on the scope is um, Jessa Bada. She's from Otago Museum in New Zealand. And we're here to discuss uh, local community actions against climate change from a bottom most, uh, bottom of um, uh, approach. So Jessa is a climate activist and leading role model in 100 women and 1000 words. I'm gonna to come to that, infinite uh, possibilities. So it's an um, intervention that showcases women working in science, technology, engineering, and maths. Uh, she combines her communication expertise and interests at the Otago Museum in driving women in STEM issues, in STEM and facilitating honest conversations on climate um, issues and activities. So uh, she will share in this uh, podcast uh, with us her activities and how she's been uh, engaging communities in dealing with or suggesting ideas on climate uh, mitigation or adaptation or community resilience uh, generally. So I'd like to welcome you, uh, Jessa, to uh, the scope today. Thank you. Yes, it's so awesome nice, to be here. Nice, nice, nice to have you. So um, let me start from let me start from 100 women and words. 100 women, 100 words infinite yep. possibilities so tell me tell us about that what what's that um, uh, idea about uh, okay uh so that uh is a digital portrait exhibition um that i curated for a larger project called full steam ahead um that was funded by our um our local ministry um for business innovation and employment um, and they spearhead a lot of uh, sort of science communication and science engagement within society initiatives. Um, so they'll they'll come back again. Um, they uh, they run a contestable fund, um, usually yearly. Uh, they had to take a break in 2020 for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, they funded Full Steam Ahead, um, which was our um, and by our, I mean Otago Museum's initiative to try to resolve this gender gap that has persisted into the 21st century um, in science, technology, engineering, and maths engagement. Um, so not just uh, careers and, and sort of um, lifetime pursuits, but also just uh, general engagement. Um, there has been this gender gap where um, women and particularly women of color um, and indigenous women, but women in general have um, have continued to feel um, sort of less able to engage or less capable of engaging, um, particularly young women, um, and to the point where they don't uh, they don't pursue it as a viable option for them in university or as a career. Um, and so one of the things we wanted to leverage through Full Steam Ahead was this concept of role models. Um, there had been some really impressive research done um, by both UNDP and uh, Microsoft of all people um, yeah. that showed that role, like knowing somebody, knowing a woman who had pursued a career in STEM and knowing what she did um, improved young women's self-concept self um, which is to say their, their concept of themselves able to achieve and engage with science, technology, engineering, or maths, that is to say STEM. Um, and so uh, part of leveraging that was putting together um, this exhibition of role models. Um, and I've seen dozens of them throughout the years. Um, 
but I was really keen to feature role models that were in young women's own communities. So we crowdsourced them from both the region that Dunedin is based in, which is called Otago, um, and the one just south of us aptly named Southland. Um, and so we put out a call uh, to the communities to nominate uh, women and girls. Um, that was the other thing is I wanted uh, these young women to see themselves in the, the women that we featured. Um, so we got about 300 nominations, which meant uh, myself and the selection committee had to whittle it down to just 100, which was really hard. Um, yep. There were there would have been no bad choices. We went for breadth. Um, so we wanted to show so why did you have to watch why, why do you have to cut it down to, to 100 uh, well, was that too large for management or it's um as as a, as a community organizer will know um funding so we okay. had applied for a certain amount of funding um and we wanted these to be not just your average sort of snapshots um okay. so we were hiring professional photographers um all of we had we ended up working with seven of them um all of whom took a pay cut a serious pay cut because they believed very strongly in in sort of the importance of this project and yeah. the message behind the project mm -hmm. uh so i am forever indebted to them because they did an amazing job but at the end of the day we could really only afford about 100 portraits um and so uh we had to whittle down the numbers um we went for sort of diversity of experience and background and story as much as possible. Um, yeah. But again, we only had what the nominators gave us to go on when, when describing why they were nominating these young women um, and old women, um, because we ended up with a, a, an age range from seven to 70, uh, which was okay. amazing. From um, seven or seven? From seven years old. Seven um, years old? So seven is years old. Is it possible to get, to get a, role, a woman role model at seven? I think that she is a role model for her classmates. Um, okay. She is passionate about mathematics. Okay. Um, she looks for math problems wherever she goes. She's not daunted by getting things wrong. Um, okay. You know, if she doesn't know how to solve something. Um, and I think that sort of, to me, embodies all of the things that are is amazing about engaging with these, these subjects is that um, they really teach you sort of this kind of resilience and, and cre creative problem solving and thinking. Um, and if you're seven and you're already exhibiting that, I mean, I, you know, I want all of the girls in her class to look to her and be like, hey, you know what, it's okay to put my hand up even if I'm not sure about the answer yeah. uh, and to feel that empowerment. Um, so yeah, I think she was, she was really awesome. Okay, um, that's, she, that's, that's, that's absolutely good. That's absolutely, it's a nice project that I think uh, you intend to make that maybe um, an annual event or a continuous project just to um, we've looked into I have thought about um, extending it um, primarily the the biggest feedback we've got was that it should be a book um, one of our uh, sort of co-funders so one of our partners on the project um, mm -hmm. has asked us to consider making it a website um, and I think a website is great um, and I think that's definitely something that we're going to pursue um but i really like the idea of a book because these these photographs are gorgeous um and then accompanying each photograph so the hundred words comes in because accompanying each photograph is a caption and that caption was written by the subject themselves i gave 
them all the same prompt. They had to describe what had been most surprising or unexpected about their journey, um, sort of in their field, if they were professionals or in their journey or in the, you know, as they've sort of grown their passion for yeah. their studies, if they're students or young, young girls. Um, and the, the captions are just amazing because um, they're, they're written in the, the women's own words. We did very little editing. Um, and so they're just, they're just, it's just phenomenal. It's really beautiful. And that's, yes, that's, I'm totally biased, but yeah, but, that's fine. I think um, but yeah, it's, it was, it was a wonderful project. Um, and then I followed that up because not only did we have it on display uh, in Otago Museum, but we took it on tour um, throughout the communities that these women came from. And then we held, we hosted panel discussions. Um, and then simultaneously I was running, um, I ran six workshops. Um, and then this is where your topic uh, of choice for today comes in. Um, okay. I ran six workshops, each of them had a different theme. Mm -hmm. um, and I would uh, ask five of these role models um, whose work sort of featured or, or, or sort of fit with that theme, but who maybe came to it from a different angle. Um, and so the, the fourth one that I ran was, um, I called it conservation and climate change. Um, and so we had a geologist, um, we had a geographer, mm -hmm. we had um, a physicist, we had a food scientist, um, oh, and I should know this, and now I'm blanking on the last one. Um, oh, and a geneticist. Okay, geneticist. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and that, that featured a little bit, the geneticist spoke a little bit more to um, the biodiversity crisis here in New Zealand. Um, but the thing about it is that I think it gave uh, the young women who attended this workshop that sort of overall perspective of, you know, figure out what your passion is and, and the difference that you want to make in the world. Yeah. Um, and then you can sort of marry those two. So for the, the, the woman from the geography department, um, who we actually consulted with on this, this other project, this past project, Science Journeys, um, she was very passionate about social justice. Um, and it was sort of through her studies as a lawyer, actually, um, that she realized that she could sort of move that passion for social justice to tie in with climate change and, and um, sort of climate adaptation, climate migration, um, and sort of what she's seeing um, happen on this global scale. Uh, the food scientist, passionate about food science um, and looking at how we can improve um, protein sources that don't contribute as much carbon dioxide or methane um, to our atmosphere. Um, the, and then the geneticist, again, like I said, one of the, the things that a lot of countries around the world are going to be experiencing and, and New Zealand is already experiencing is a, a loss of biodiversity. Um, yep. They, I, I thought so the food scientist was going to be worried about food scarcity and, um, ah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that there are other food scientists who, who are more concerned with that. Um, New Zealand is very lucky in that we have this incredible agriculture industry. Um, and we have all of this beautiful space. Uh, the problem is, is that it's it's causing some major issues. Um, yeah, it's causing major issues. And we think because if we look at climate impacts coming from different angles, so even if it is mm -hmm. desertification or flooding or, yeah. or, or storms, any of these have very huge impacts on agriculture, isn't it? So 
And yeah. that's yeah, absolutely. If, if the farmland gets flooded, you can imagine what happened in the in the value chain, in the supply chain oh. is disrupted. Or drought. Then, I mean, or, or we're drought. having massive droughts now as well. And that's a huge okay. problem when you have livestock. Mm -hmm. um, so certain areas are getting too much rain and other areas not not enough. And yeah, um, yeah. so I, I, I'm constantly telling people for, for Aotearoa, New Zealand, it's, we're a bunch of islands. People worry about sea level rise. Like, yes, that's an issue. But mm. even if you live inland, it's an issue. <laughs> it's an issue. Um, I've said that a lot because for my, for yeah. my own uh, research and studies, I said, wherever you live, climate change mm -hmm. is, going to, is going to impact, is going to impact you, is going to impact you in one way or the it other. It probably already is. Yeah, if you look at the issue of uh, migration or climate refugees, as we call it, as we're going to call it now, and people yeah. are developing a social justice system for climate refugees. And if people move away from wherever they're living into a different location, that constitutes a whole lot of problem with pressure on social systems, infrastructure, oh, gosh, and yeah. employability and all the rest of other things. So wherever people live, I think the impacts is yeah. uh, going to be felt. And that's why uh, it's become, uh, someone described that, that it's a climate crisis that needs mm -hmm. some kind of urgent response. So let me come to you on um, how you've been uh, dealing, handling this issue at community level. Generally. Yeah. How do you so, engage? Um, so I was going to say, so, I mean, we first met through, um, through the Science Journeys Project. Um, and I just wanted to give you a quick recap on that because that finished up uh, at the end of 2020. Okay. Um, so uh, as, um, so for your listeners, the Science Journeys Project was um, actually started by one of my colleagues who's now at Radio New Zealand. Um, but um, she had sort of started it as a way to try to not only drive community engagement, but really empower young people to engage with the science um, behind climate change, um, make it sort of more real to them um, and, and give them a voice. Um, and so um, she'd asked if I could uh, help be a mentor um, to one of her groups. Um, and basically the, the idea was uh, we would work with these students. Um, they were, um, sort of local high school students, uh, I would say mm, maybe, what was it, 11 to age 17. Um, and they would design their own climate change um, exhibition that would be on display in Otago Museum where we work. Um, okay. So we, we recruited 29 students. Um, most of them were from the area, from the Dunedin area. Um, but we had a really unique opportunity to engage a, a group of students um, from a school called Te Aho o Te Kura Ponamu, um, which is a distance learning school. So for whatever reason, um, lifestyle choice, um, health issues, um, the students couldn't be in a conventional classroom. Um, and so we engaged with them virtually, which ended up being uh, great <laughs> because they knew what they were doing when our lockdown hit, um, which was about in the middle of the project. Well, so um, during lockdown, they were they were the top people. They, they were learning remotely, but they always <laughs> learn remotely. So they were they were like oh, they were already normal. there anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was the rest of us that had to be like, how do you do this? Yeah. Um, and there was some real concern initially that we weren't going to be able to put on an actual exhibition. So we started talking about what it would look like if we had to do a, a digital one. 
um, a website with all of the content that we had been uh, developing. Um, we worked with the kids on what a good exhibition looks like, um, how exhibitions should tell a story and what that story is that they wanted to tell. And, you know, it was this interesting balance of trying to give them guidance, but also stand back and let them make their own decisions. Um, and, you know, I felt like we had to say no a lot sometimes like they had yeah. some amazing ideas and yeah. that was what you want you want them to sort of dream big and we said go big our job is to sort of Your bring you back is, in and yeah, tell you what's, feel, what's it's practical a filter. it's a filter which one is uh, practicable isn't it yeah but we don't yeah. want to impinge on your creativity at all um so one of the earliest ideas was to flood the gallery um <laughs> to talk about sea level rise and we're like can't do that um but uh, eventually they landed on, they wanted to tell the story of um, how the people who are impacted the most by climate change are the ones who have the least responsibility for it. Um, and my group that I ended up working with was assigned the, the introduction of the, um, of the story. So sort of setting the groundwork um, and then the second group told stories. Um, and so what they did was they interviewed uh, individuals from um, the Cook Islands and Samoa and other uh, youth activists. Um, so the leaders of School Strikes for Climate here in Dunedin. Um, and they, um, they worked or they, they sort of sourced art from local artists, um, like high school artists um, about climate change. And they just looked for all of the different ways they could tell different stories about the impact that climate change is having. Um, and then the sort of, the last part we wanted to end on was we wanted to empower visitors, just like we wanted to empower the students. Yeah. Um, and so it was actions, you know, these are the things we can do and, I was so proud of these kids because very early on they they had done reading and research on their own. Um, I had one great moment where one of my group reflected to me afterwards that you know they had done all this reading and only a tiny amount of it had made it into the exhibition. And I said, "Well, you're ready for your PhD now." <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, they put in the, yeah, they're putting an amount of work. They probably yeah. they did some research work to come up with some fantastic ideas, isn't it? Yeah, that they they did happened. they did some just it was just they just smashed it. They were just amazing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they so they had the they had the the actions that individuals could take personally. Um, but then there was a call to say, look, you know, the bottom line is, is that we're not going to enact change unless it's, it's done more structurally, um, okay. sort of from a government level. Um, and so, you know, here's who you need to write to, and here's what you need to demand, and here's the format, and, you know, the, the power is in your hands, but you need to, to sort of be aware that, you know, yes it's important to, to take individual action but we really need the sy systemic action exactly because so that was going, that, that was going to be my next point that's what was what was the place of uh the politicians or the government the policy makers yeah. in that program to make sure yeah. that they get the message that of course yeah. the people are aware i can imagine yeah. from your presentation and what the program was about the project was about it's about 
creating that awareness and letting people know what they are contributing or what they are getting as a response from the environment. But then yeah. the person who is going to take this overarching action is the government and the private sector and then the individuals or communities. So how were you able to, to bring this mix into, into the project and to ensure that this message is transcending to their minds or their policy making uh, to influence what they will do uh, practically yeah i mean our hope is because we opened it over the school holidays um one of the school holidays and in new zealand all of the schools are on holiday at the same time mm -hmm. all of the sort of elementary middle secondary schools um that that helped contribute to the, the just the sheer number of visitors that we had through the exhibition um we had the mayor of Dunedin come uh, and open the exhibition, um, but we were able to get some pretty amazing national coverage of, of the exhibition as well. Um, again, there's a benefit to New Zealand being a small country. Um, and so, you know, getting in touch with Radio New Zealand um, and, and trying to get the message out there and doing the, um, they did a, um, one of the national pieces had like a whole, essentially a video tour through the exhibition. Um, and then we were able to take it um, just recently, able to get it installed um, in a second location in Queenstown, um, which is uh, ha has been in the past a, a very popular tourist hotspot, um, and it still is uh, domestically. Um, but you know, our hope is that a lot of people realize that you know they need to speak up and they need to, to sort of demand better on that national political stage mm -hmm. um and it's sort of my in in a, a dream scenario if i were going to extend this project i would um i would build on this and do something similar but i would personally my favorite age group to engage are the people over 65 and I would love to get the people over 65 to come in and do the same thing and then and then basically look at the different stories that they're choosing to tell about climate change and what's going on there. Um, so uh, uh, that, that's that's a, that's fantastic to, to get people um, uh, different age groups um, to participate in, in this conversation, mm -hmm. I think, because everyone has got. Uh, contribution to make in one way or the other, isn't it? Uh, so, uh, what's what's the driving force on ground at the moment, as we speak? Is is the uh, science training project still ongoing, or what's what's uh, the driving community mechanisms that you are engaging the people to carry on with the uh, conversation on climate change, or are you using the Otago Museum platform or? Which are these platforms? If they exist? Yeah, so um, we're definitely still leveraging um, the Otago Museum platform. Um, we have uh, a national reputation as a science communication sort of hub. We have the largest science communication, professional science communication team in New Zealand. Um, and what uh, what has really been gratifying to me is to see aspects of the original Science Journeys project um, carried through and sort of incorporated into what's called our Far From Frozen project. Um, okay. And that is a whole other, that that actually predates Science Journeys. Um, our original Far From Frozen climate change showcase um, was a 2016, 2017 um, funded project, again, by uh, MBIE, our government ministry for innovation and entrepreneurship or innovation and employment and Yes, and be business. There we go. And business. <laughs> um, 
and um and that reached about 40,000 people and that was um that actually sat outside of parliament mm-hmm. um we um get significantly like because of the scope of that project it gets uh significantly more funding um to utilize some of our sort of more uh unique platforms so we have a enormous inflatable uh, marquee essentially that's very attention grabbing and when we pair that with our lab in a box which is a 20-foot shipping container that um one of the walls folds sort of if the shipping container is like this lengthwise the wall folds down and there's a frame that slides out um and it's very distinct um and so we uh can take lab in a box um on the road it's not the most uh easy to move around, um, but it does enable us to, to reach some, some locations and, and sort of have a platform with us as we go. Um, and so that was the original sort of 20, yeah, 2016, 2017. Um, and then we uh, uh, received additional funds from the Ministry for Foreign Affairs and Trade to take it to the, um, the Pacific Islands. So it visited Fiji and yeah. Tonga, and then it was supposed to go to Samoa uh, in the end of 2019, um, but there was a measles epidemic, so we weren't able to go. It was rescheduled for March of 2020, and then COVID-19 happened. Um, and in the, the that sort of interim period, we got it funded again um, to sort of revamp it with all the updated data, um, as well as take on a, a more ocean-centered focus. Um, so we partnered with um, the our sort of NIWA is our ocean and atmospheric. It's sort of the U.S. The U.S. has NOAA. New Zealand has NIWA. Okay. Um, okay. So it's it's water and atmosphere, um, and um, also a local um, center of research excellence called McDiamond Institute, um, which is working sort of at the forefront of a lot of climate change adaptation and mitigation technologies, um, particularly using nanoparticles and nanotechnologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to, and unfortunately we couldn't get it to Samoa because by the time we came out of lockdown, we needed to bring it back to us so that we could start revamping it. Um, and so that has relaunched um, and that is now on the road. Um, we call it Far From Frozen because it uses Antarctica as sort of the hook to get people interested. Um, Antarctica is one of our nearest neighbors. Um, <laughs> yeah. At, at certain times of year, thanks to the how big the sea ice gets, it's actually closer to us than Australia. Um, but uh, it is it is a fascinating place to study what's happening to the climate. It is our canary in a cold mine, coal mine. Um, and so we uh, th- both the original Far From Frozen and this this new one, um, Antarctica New Zealand is one of our, our very close partners. Um, and so we use you know, we have a Scott tent, we have all of the extreme cold weather gear, um, which gets little kids really interested. Um, okay. It's also a really handy way to talk about what's happening to the to the planet. You know, you have them put on the heavy jacket and then you have them put on another one and then you put on another one. And it's sort of like, okay, well, how are you feeling? You're feeling pretty warm, right? Well, that's basically what's happening to our atmosphere. Yeah. Um, it's like we're wrapped up in a big fluffy duvet and mm-hmm. we can't take it off. Exactly. Um, and so it's it's a great way to start those conversations very young. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of school programs um, where like classes book in to come through, uh, and then we usually team that up with a community day where we're open to the wider community in an area. 
Um, just this past month, we did uh, one in Cromwell and one in Roxburgh, and both of those are fairly rural communities on the South Island. Um, and it, there were some hard conversations um, because ultimately agriculture and transport are the, the sort of areas that New Zealand has got to do better in. Okay. Um, and when you're talking to farmers, that's not what they want to hear. Um, and so it's kind of, it's become a lot of, you know, listening to people who have been vilified for their lifestyle, for yeah. their, you know, yeah, their for what they're, 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 like their they're, industry. This is what they're about. Their yeah, whole family has been about yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's not what we're about. We don't want to come in and say, this is what you have to do. Um, it's about a, having a conversation and listening to them and saying, this is what I'm hearing. And I agree, no solution that we're offering is perfect. And it's not, you know, no one thing is going to solve this issue because it's such a multifaceted problem. Yeah. Um, and so it's been really, really rewarding and hard. Yeah, I think sometimes. you guys are doing a fantastic job and doing the whole of this. Oh, I can't imagine. So this is all coming from Otago Museum, the whole of what yeah. you mentioned. I mean, we've got amazing partners, right? I mean, NIWA has you given have, us yeah, amazing partners. heaps of information, McDiamond Institute. I mean, they've given us so many great resources. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the at the end of the day, you know, we'll be, um, so we're about to start our New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand International Science Festival starts uh, next Monday, or sorry, ah, I, I, Mis mistaken next, my Monday. my little project starts up next monday it actually starts the weekend um okay. this coming weekend so it's very exciting it's it's a full week um there's a hundred plus events um on and it's centered in dunedin um and so we will have far from frozen installed in the center of town um so anybody can come in um we have a couple of really cool interactives that um will take you through antarctica and why antarctica is important um, as well as there's this fantastic modeling table that um, shows you what happens during extreme weather events. Okay. Um, so again, you have that like, you know, sea level rise, but also extreme weather. Nobody is safe. Um, there's a saying in Tereo Maori, he waka ike noa. Um, we're all in the same waka or boat. Um, and, you know, it's that we're we're an island nation yeah. and no matter yeah. what we do. I see. Like, I think um, um, this. I have I have a colleague who is from um, whose interest has been on uh, small island nations, and his mm -hmm. research is about the impact of climate change on young people who live in small island nations. He is from Saint mm -hmm. Vincent and the Grenadines, so you can imagine. Oh wow! While you yeah. at the bottom, he is at the top. Yeah. <laughs> but they've been facing about the same uh, uh, challenge or a couple of challenges that as a result of uh, climate change. And some yeah. guys I'm going to speak with too are from uh, Bangladesh. They are doing quite a lot. And when they narrate their situation, I, I really feel that direct connects with how this sea level rise and cyclones and storms is, is impacting yeah. and affecting uh, their livelihoods every year, every year. So it's um it's important that uh, you are getting fantastic support from the private sector, from the government, because that's, oh, that's we, what yeah, we are. That's what I want to uh, say, because yeah. uh, while people are struggling, that we need to hold some people responsible and governments too need to be responsive in how they address these issues. So what are those uh, very physical indicators of climate change that you are facing across New Zealand or in the region where you live? 
those things that is it temperature that they are beginning to get hotter than usual or is it flooding that are becoming more regular or becoming more intense or is it storms or yep. cyclones or sea level rise so which of these are relevant to yeah your... um so definitely extreme weather um so just a couple i think it wasn't it was just a month ago even um so yeah beginning of june there was a major um rain event um that washed out some roads um, and basically meant that anything that we were expecting to be delivered um, uh, couldn't be delivered because yeah. the the detour literally took you from the east coast to the west coast and then back to the east coast again of the south island yeah um, so down here we're having um, we are seeing some more droughts uh, inland um, okay. so already this year um, they uh, so oh, I should back up a little bit. So one of the interesting things about New Zealand um, is that we have the one sort of power supplier um, okay. and we have a number of renewable sources that feed into that, but we also have some coal um, to sort of pick up the slack when the renewables can't do it. And because of we've relied so heavily on hydro for so long and a lot of those dams are in areas that have been experiencing drought. Exactly. Um, we've had to do more, we've had to rely more on coal. Um, and so uh, electricity has gotten more expensive. That's sort of the immediate, uh, what everybody feels um, is, hey, it's, and, and it's winter time. So it's like, oh, if you have an electric heat source, you're gonna notice the difference right away. Mm. Um, so we've got drought in some places, we've got massive heavy rain in other places. Um, and, then, and then there is erosion and sea level rise is sort of, the next um, coming up right behind us. Um, so yeah, those are those are sort of the main things. Um, yeah, I think yeah, really yeah. the 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 and then the coming with the drought and the um, the the massive rain events. More with the drought is that we've ended up having some um, okay. some pretty severe wildfires at yeah. different times along that sort of plains area where um where a lot of the agriculture comes from so it's yeah. it's not great for for farmers it's not great um, it's not great for farmers it's not great for retailers it's not great for no, citizens it's not, it's not for great anyone. for any, anyone really <laughs> so everybody <No>. yeah <laughs> everyone is sort of connected so, okay let's look at some candid um uh, mitigation plants i understand uh, from a telegram museum perspective you've been doing a lot in creating awareness and getting people to know that look this issue need to be nipped at the board if that is uh, if that is the case uh, so uh, in terms of these uh, pragmatic uh, mitigation options mm. uh, what are they yeah. are people beginning to buy uh, uh, let's say what do you call them hybrid cars or electric cars yep. investments yep or people cutting yeah. down on emissions or, or, you know, all of these consumptions, coal, for instance, all of those were the ones that will lead to these emissions. I understand that the carbon footprints overall of the entire country might be very small as compared to the heavy polluters of the world. Yep, that's mm. fine. But we still need to do our own business wherever we are. So what are those little bits we are doing in terms of mitigation just to take, take away or just to reduce this carbon that has been released into the atmosphere. Yeah, so um, so it's funny that you should mention that because it's one of my favorite um, little facts. Um, yeah. And I actually, if I can share my screen for a minute, this is yeah. one of the displays that my group put together. Um, I was so, uh, this was sort of the brainchild of this one young woman in particular. And I was okay. just, I couldn't have been more proud of her. Um, so this is an image. Um, of 
something that she had wanted to display. She wanted something physical and tangible to display this comparison across different countries. Um, so um, this purple jar here um, is China. Uh, and then the pink is India. And then the green is New Zealand and the yellow is Samoa. And these are the 2017 gross emissions for each country. Okay. Um, but then the next uh, sort of grouping of jars again is China, India, New Zealand, and Samoa, but these are the per capita emissions. Yeah. And so you can see New Zealand goes from way down here to actually worse than China. Um, and this blew the kids' minds and it blew the visitors' minds as well. I mean, we had little surveys at the end of the exhibition as you exited. And without doubt, they said this was fun. Like this, I had no idea. Um, and then the next table actually has two, two more comparisons with the same four countries. Mm -hmm. One of them looking at um, the human development index and showing that New Zealand has quite a high quality of life i.e. we can afford to make smart consumer choices um, and, and sort of making the argument that perhaps we need to start thinking more wisely about the choices that we're making um, because we have the option of making those choices. Yep. Uh, and then the last image, um, I might actually have it. I think it's behind here. Yeah, oh, that's, that's Sarah actually. <laughs> Okay. Um, so this is the uh, the Notre Dame um, Global Adaptation Index, um, and they actually have a vulnerability index. And so again, you can see that of the four, New Zealand is actually the least vulnerable of the four mm -hmm. countries we picked to okay. the impacts of climate change. And so it's this again making this argument that you know we actually aren't like yes we still have impacts and yes it's still not going to be great for us, yeah. but it's going to be better for us than a lot of other places. And we could stand to do more when you look at our per capita emissions. So going back to your question. Um, yes, that's why we have to get that per capita emission down to something. Yeah, it's that per capita emissions. So, yeah. And, and when you look at it, a lot of people here um, tend to think about it in terms of um, electricity and what uses the most electricity, but really it's energy. Energy is yeah. what you have to think of. Electricity is only one part of that. Um, and it basically comes down to transportation is the biggest. Um, and actually one of my colleagues, former colleagues, I guess now she's just left, um, she's moved to Australia. Um, but she designed this fantastic um, sort of, it's not super interactive, but it's very tactile. And it's basically there's, a, there's four toy sort of vehicles. There's a motorcycle, a person like a tiny little sedan personal vehicle okay. um, a, a van which they classify as light transport i'm oh, sorry there's five um there's a bus and then there's a big semi lorry you mm. know yeah um and then uh sort of there's this piece of fabric that has different sort of lengths of road on it and you have to put the item on the length of road that you think matches and without doubt everybody that has come through and done this has put the lorry on the longest length of road because okay. they think that that's where most of our transportation emissions are coming from mm -hmm. is all of the heavy you know heavy costs of moving stuff around New Zealand um, and in fact it's personal vehicles um, and it's just it's astounding how much personal vehicle driving is done um, 
at least on the surface of it, coming from a place like me where there's, uh, you know, in the United States, most areas have a lot of really good public transport yeah. and, and there just aren't those options here. Um, and so that's where I think um, taking the bus and and switching to, to um, electric vehicles will improve the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as well as I do, electric vehicles aren't the answer. They're still extractive. There's still issues there. They're much yeah. better than petrol vehicles, yeah. but it's not a stopgap. But, you know, my favorite thing to tell people is, you know, how big was your computer when you were a kid? Right. My computer yeah. was massive and now it's this big. It's just that. <laughs> that's it. And, that's that's, it. and it gets that way because we use these things and we expect better and we want innovation in, in the area of computing. And so things have gotten smaller and, and better and more efficient. Yeah. And so if we say, we don't want petrol anymore. We want innovation in something else. And we direct our money in that area. Mm-hmm. Then that's where innovation is going to come um, yeah. because people are going to see that's where the market is. There is um, much, there's much, so much innovation and so much investments going around electric cars and electric battery manufacturing in the, in the UK, for instance, there's so much investment yeah. and companies are taking that as, um, as a new opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. blue ocean investment. Uh, and mm-hmm. that, even that that's where the world is uh, is driving uh, through. Are there such massive investments in, in New Zealand uh, by the government or private organizations in, let's say, wind, um, wind energy as alternative building? Yeah, uh, so we have we have bonds. great renewables. We really do. And there's more all the time. I mean, we're we've just just I think in the last week there was a new solar array that just went online um, and they're working on um another one up in Northland. Down here, we don't actually get that much sun. Mm. Um, I mean, we do, people make it sound like it's terrible and it's really not. Um, but up in Northland, up on the north of the North Island, they get heaps of sun and they've, um, they've uh, one of the power companies has purchased land um, from uh, a farm um, to, to um, install a, a large massive solar array um, that will feed into the grid. Um, into the national grid. So, you know, there's, there is investment there. They've started looking at um, and sort of making it um, more attractive to invest in hybrids and electric. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to know um, in the UK, if there's much um, going on around alternative fuels, like we've got, um, I mentioned the Diamond Institute uh, for Advanced Materials and Nanotechnology, and one of their principal investigators um, is looking very heavily into um, possibilities around hydrogen as a fuel, as a as a viable fuel. And you know, I know Madrid tried it and had success, except for the fact that it took an extreme amount of electricity generated by carbon to to produce the hydrogen. Um, but I think uh, this woman, Sally, is, is yeah. just doing some amazing things. Um, and so that, she's, that, she's... that is the point, isn't it? Because uh, someone asked a question in my university. Um, my colleague asked that question. I said, okay, if we switch over to 100% electric cars, where mm-hmm. are we going to get the electricity? Yeah. We charge the cars. The next question we need to address is the same way when I, when I run uh, some consultancy with, with students or consultancy uh, project with students. And we said, if you suggest that um, uh, we, we don't cut down trees mm-hmm. to make papers, mm-hmm. or you said, okay, let's go with alternatives instead of using um, uh, systems that will contribute our carbon footprint, we could also we could use papers or we could mm-hmm. use um, 
what they call them, biodegradable products, right? Mm -hmm. From the shops, mm -hmm. such as packaging. Some yep. of these packaging things, or products are made from papers. Papers we yep. know will come from the forest, come from trees. the wood yeah. trees. So yep. how do we deal with this? If we switch yep. from plastics to papers, we are going to mount pressure on the forest. Is that the implication? Yep. So we need to study yep. this and make sure yeah. that- and I think you've hit the nail on the head there where it's it always needs to be a discussion with people like because nothing is 100% the right answer. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to cut down our our reliance on plastic. That means that we're going to end up doing more around glass and tin and, and paper. Um, paper removes some of that carbon capturing from the, the environment. I had a fantastic discussion with a woman who owns an arboretum um, about carbon capture and, and different kinds of trees. The native trees here in New Zealand are very slow growing. Um, they don't capture as much carbon um, as quickly as uh, introduced pine, which is regarded as something of a pest because it shields all of the natives from growing. Mm. So do we invest heavily in planting lots of pine at the expense of our biodiversity? Right, we yep. will lose we'll lose species if we do that. Yep. And so it's this nothing nothing is a hundred percent. Everything is a trade off, and we yeah. and we have to do the best we can while still applying pressure where we can. Excellent. Um, they they from the beginning during the introduction, you mentioned the geneticists who came to mm. to your program, and yeah. um, and then uh, my first background was in genetics and biotechnology. Oh, so cool. the idea was to learn how to how to use uh, specimens uh, to create mm -hmm. new products that's biotechnology mm -hmm. either through a conventional yep. or an engineered yep. process that will give us mm -hmm. either a conventional or a non-conventional uh, biotechnology process all right mm -hmm. uh, so that the reason i'm bringing that up is because of uh, the uh, the argument you just made that of course you need trees and the kind of trees you have might not have the capacity of uh, enough carbon sequestration, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Or taking of carbon from, from the atmosphere. Now, it is the place of science, uh, uh, really, or as you said, especially biotechnologists, to look mm -hmm. at how they could re-engineer possibly something mm. that will have broader leaves, right? Mm -hmm. Enough chlorophyll to capture mm -hmm. carbon dioxide, manufacture their own food and release mm -hmm. what we need as oxygen to balance it up yep. in um, a biogeochemical cycle, mm -hmm. right? So it could be mm -hmm. something you want to put across maybe to the university when next you meet some of these guys who study uh, biotechnology and a mix of genetics engineering to mm -hmm. see how they could re-engineer some of the plants for the mm -hmm. New Zealand carbon capture project, right? Yeah. That could be a yeah. way of looking at it because with biotechnology, you could do a whole lot. One of the experiments uh, we conducted was to use, um, to, to engineer box, box, I mean, some insects, right? Mm -hmm. That will break down uh, carbon dioxide in polluted lands through a process oh, wow. called, you know, called uh, bioremediation. Yeah. Yep. So if we could do that, if we could play with genes in, any other way we could play with plant genes or mm. we could do in do something around that chlorophyll or the gene that enables a plant to capture more or produce broader leaves that mm. will you know capture and increase the frequency of sequestration mm -hmm. that would be helpful isn't it there it, yeah 
Yeah, go I ahead. I mean, it's it's there's <laughs> I mean, there's just there's such uh, you're you're absolutely right. I think that there's um there's some really interesting um possibilities yeah. um with what we can do now. Um here we have we are mindful um that there so in the Maori worldview in Tao Maori, um, everything has a, a genealogy. Um, and so genetic engineering is, is one of those things that um, is a, it's a hot topic right yep, now. Yep, um, yeah. Primarily, so one of our uh, sort of major campaigns that was introduced is called Predator-Free 2050. And okay. it's about preserving our biodiversity by getting rid of specific mammalian predators that were introduced. Um, and currently there's been a lot of trapping, which is very not efficient uh, in terms of uh, labor out versus uh, result. Mm -hmm. um, it, it takes massive, massive, massive amounts of people because um, we're talking about and parts of parts of the South Island, huge swaths of the South Island are completely uninhabited. They're, they're rainforest. Um, and so, you know, choppering people in there to check these trap lines, it takes them, you know, weeks to, to do. Um, and so they're looking at improving traps. Um, there um, is a very controversial substance called 1080 that is used mm -hmm. to poison these predators. Um, and that's been hotly debated. And then um, most recently it's been about, could we, um, could we essentially use a gene drive where we, you know, every, every female that gives birth, all the males in the litter are infertile. Um, mm. And essentially we breed them out altogether. Um, but because the sort of indigenous people of New Zealand have this very, um, one of their strongest values is this principle of kaitiakitanga or guardianship of the environment um, and of their place and of their families. Um, we do have to take into account the fact that um, when you start changing the, the genetic code of, uh -huh. of something, you're, yep. you're messing with their whakapapa or their genealogy, mm -hmm. um, which has knock-on effects. So it's this very interesting discussion that's been going on um, on many levels about using gene drive for things like getting rid of introduced species, not even the native species. Um, but it would be interesting um, to, to sort of look into, you know, maybe like, okay, so we're going to do pine trees and pine trees are really great at sequestration, but can we get it so that they don't grow as tall um, and they don't shade out the or they don't compete for resources with the natives and things like that i mean it's it's no, complicated it's, a, it's, it's complicated it's a it's a yeah. thing that people stakeholders will need to think carefully through and weigh and weigh the options that you have okay mm -hmm. another way is if you if you go to some places where drought is becoming an issue as a result of climate change you need to figure out how you develop drought resistant resistant plants and yeah. that you might do yeah. with the help of biotechnology tools yeah help you develop yeah. those ones. i mean yeah. and they've <laughs> talked about that with livestock as well like yeah. changing the livestock so they're not emitting as much methane yeah. um so it's it's you know uh, it comes like the, the same way the, this the the covid vaccine was developed you know yeah. a lot of people were skeptical yeah. about it was going to happen yeah system what is going to happen a lot of ethical questions have been asked and some address uh, along that line uh, so mm -hmm. in the same way that when you need to invest in biotechnology research in a particular mm. uh, 
uh, scenario, you weigh the options of ethical issues around there uh, to see which one is suitable. And also look at the scale of the problem. If you, yeah. do, if you, if you engage and if you don't, of course, one of the strategies, even in climate change adaptation, is a do-nothing approach. If you weigh that the risk is very low and the adaptation yeah. is very high, so you say do yeah. nothing, but you monitor. Yeah, no, no and, and and I definitely don't think it's it's a, a you know we've at all gotten to the the do nothing approach. Um, but you know, the, there's an argument for you know we need to listen to to sort of indigenous knowledge now because yeah. not listening to them is how we got here, um, and so. Yeah, it that's, it's it's important to it's very very important to uh, listen to indigenous people. Uh, recently, I think last uh, uh, Friday, uh, I, I presented a paper in in a conference, and it, it was a shocking paper to us, a shocking result to us and to uh, the audience, other panelists or audience in, in the uh, in the conference about how engaging the community uh, to get their own views on. Mm -hmm government or research proposal could help shape the way we structure um, our programs and projects. So it's important to listen to indigenous people and consider the opinions and views in every project to ensure that it's accepted because acceptability is crucial in uh, uh -huh. anything we want to do, even with respect to climate change mitigation or or adaptation. Okay, uh, last area we want to look at, I think you have, you have uh, mentioned a lot of things and um, I, I'm not sure if there is need for adaptation in in New Zealand at the moment if there if there is uh, are there are there you know adaptation mechanisms in place at the moment that have been deployed um I mean there's definitely you know you talk to the governments and they'll say, you know, yes, we've declared a climate emergency. And it's sort of, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah, that, that's just, that's just an ordinary thing to say, oh, we've declared an emergency. If you declare an yeah, emergency, It's an emergency, oh my it? gosh. And then what do you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's been really interesting. You know, there've been some things um, sort of in the news lately, um, particularly in the North Island. So um, for any of your listeners and viewers who aren't familiar with um, sort of, the geography of New Zealand. The North Island is much smaller than the South Island. The North Island is far more populous. Um, so half the population lives in Auckland, which is one city. Um, I live on the South Island in a very small town. Well, it's a very small city. It's a large town. Depends yeah. on what you come from, exactly. I guess, as your point of reference. <laughs> um, but um, there's been talk about in uh, the government's exploring options for in, in sort of investing in a better public transportation infrastructure um, between cities. So okay. uh, my favorite example is I had a, a dear friend come visit me and she was like, oh, well, I'll just take the train around. I don't want to fly. Like, I'll just take the train. And it was sort of like, there, there, there really isn't one, okay. um, you know, and there should be, it's not that big, um, but, and th there are rail networks for moving logs. Um, the timber industry is big for moving, you know, a lot of industry around, but, um, agricultural products but no i mean um there's not there's not really a, an easy way to get from between auckland and wellington which is the largest city in the capital okay. um and so there's talk about investing in that um as i said there's talk about um so th they have actually enacted um some legislation that will make it um more uh attractive to okay. um to invest in electric um 
there's been a lot of discussion around um, some alternative fuel, uh, investing in alternative fuel. Um, my partner thinks ammonia is the way to go. Um, there's been some really interesting uh, results out of, I want to say, Scandinavia around shipping and ammonia as a fuel. Okay. Um, but uh, as I said, this this um, this New Zealand-based uh, center of research excellence um, is looking at not only um, hydrogen as a fuel source, but also as a you know viable and efficient fuel source. Um, but also uh, looking at making solar um, easier and more affordable. Um, and so some of the things they're developing are things like a paint that will concentrate the solar sort of the photons that it receives from the sun mm. to the edges of the windows um, okay. so you can actually paint it on your window it and it sort of tints the window um, and that way you can minimize the number of solar panels you need to put on your house um, they are working on flexible solar panels um, things that are lightweight easy to easy to carry easy to to travel with um, so there's things like that um, that are ongoing all the time, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's that, that it's, sounds it's, that sounds very interesting. That uh, yeah. doing a lot of things, both mitigation and adaptation all together. Yeah. Uh, communities that are very close to to the sea or to the ocean, how how are those coping with? How are they planning to cope with sea level rise or this? Yeah, so that's floods and. You know. Yeah, that's that's a that's a hot topic, particularly where I live. Um, well, the, the particularly for the city I live in. Um, so I live in in Dunedin, as I said, we're a coastal town. Um, we have uh, we've traditionally had a harbor, um, and then there was a wetland, and that wetland has been reclaimed, but it sits below sea level. Um, and even I've been here for six and a half years. Okay. Um, there's only been one really major flooding. But it was yeah. very bad during an extreme weather event um, in June, so winter time. Um, and there are still families that are recovering from that. And that was five, six years ago now. Um, and it's the kind of thing where now the sort of the local they, they call it the civil defense um, group is aware that this is this is a problem. Um, but the future of what we call South Dunedin, because it's at the southern end of the town, mm. um, is very much a, a hot topic um, in local government because mm. it will be underwater if we lose much more of Antarctica. Mm. Um, and actually in our Far From Frozen showcase, we have um, this projection map of, um, of the Antarctic continent and we can sort of push a button and you can see, you know, oh, if we have a temperature change of this much, mm -hmm. this much of Antarctica will melt. Yeah. And then right next to it is a map of Dunedin and you can see where the water comes in yeah. and it's not gonna take much for South Dunedin to be underwater. And so what, what are those people gonna do? So there's been a lot of discussion around what can be done yeah. Um, yeah. because yeah. this is inevitable if we don't, change what we're doing right now that's that that's so. the point that's a that's the point that is the conversation and that is my own research area and that's yep. where i've worked with uh, with uh, the oil and gas industry unfortunately because when you said from the beginning that some uh, people or organization have been vilified for what they do as a culture as a business or yep. kind of lifestyle it's the same way the oil and gas industry is suffering the impact some people are training are threatening uh, the industry that should be sued for polluting the world and a lot of 
conversation around there. But the question I always got is why, why do you have to work towards uh, protecting oil and gas infrastructure when they are the cause of the, the entire problem you know mm -hmm. i said well mm -hmm. we still need to so far as we still depend on this infrastructure in one way or the other we have to protect them until we successfully move over from uh, fossil energy to other mm -hmm. uh, uh, other green energy sources you know mm -hmm. which which is fine and i've been I'll do that with other communities as well developing mm -hmm. adaptation measures that they could adapt it varies from place to place depending on the threat level uh, mm -hmm. so they will choose which options are available and do mm -hmm. it on time and also measuring yeah. measuring um impacts of impact possibilities and adaptation options because sometimes mm -hmm. you invest all the money you have in adaptation and nothing happens then you begin to yeah. regret it so that kind of yeah. conversation uh, needs to go all right so um Thank you so much for your time. I usually would not want this to go more than one hour. And I will go more than an hour now. It's getting too late, probably for you to, to have some rest. Uh, is there the last uh, converse, uh, question I'll ask, or just to ask about, is any plans for um, the uh, Glasgow Cl uh, Climate Conference? Um, not that you are aware mm. of. I was gonna, oh gosh, so uh, not me personally, no. um, but there's another um, another center of research excellence that I, um, I do a lot of work for called the Dodd Wall Center um, for uh, photonics and quantum technologies. And they are very heavily involved in, in sort of anything to do with photons. So um, anything solar mm. um, and working with solar, uh, improving solar energy, um, but also using um, photometry uh, to measure things like water quality um, and most recently air quality. Um, so there's some some discussion around around that. Um, McDiamond Institute will almost definitely have a, a, a presence, although they've not uh, shared any of their plans with me. Um, meanwhile, for us here, our focus is us, uh, our communities in New Zealand, um, and. Um, and the Pacific Islands, um, because so much of, of sort of, if they're going to be climate refugees, they're going to come here. Um, we want to make sure that they're supported um, yep. and they deserve to have access to excellent science engagement. And, you know, it's not something that, that the more remote and rural schools necessarily have, they, they just don't have the resources. Um, and so if we can provide that um then you know that's that's a job well done that's that's something that, that we can all benefit from as having more engaged citizens who are demanding better um that's that's true okay that's <clears throat> thank you so much for uh this wonderful conversation and touching or educating me on a lot of things that are happening that you are doing and uh extend my um warm appreciation uh, to the entire Otago museum team on the whole of this engagement. I don't think I've seen a museum anywhere in the world engaging in these environmental conversations like the ones you've discussed and investing all the projects far from frozen and all of that. That is yeah. uh, very, very important. I think uh, going forward, you begin to get, um, maybe your program, 100 Women, 100 Words, could also begin to tell young people and young ladies that of course mm -hmm. there are opportunities in this uh, climate change adaptation mitigation we need women who will be leading of course you're aware of 
the greater Thunberg and greater effect yep. that we now have. Yep. So that's a role model now for a lot of people, yeah. including especially young girls who might want to see that they can actually, uh, you know, get involved in this yeah, conversation and it will go a long way in, in helping yeah. us. So uh, thank you so much uh, for joining. Uh, oh, really thank appreciate, you for having me. really appreciate your time and uh, hopefully if there's need, we'll meet again and we'll yeah. keep going on. All right. Excellent. I look forward to it, Justin. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.